Hi, welcome to the Southern Soil Podcast. My name is Leanna Tatum. I'm your host. Today and every day, we are talking about growing our local food communities. If you love growing food, cooking food, or if you just really love to eat good food, you are in the right place. So pull up a chair and let's get this conversation started. Today's conversation is with Kristen Russell, who is well-established in the local food community of Savannah. I always enjoy speaking with Kristen because she has high ideals, but takes a very practical approach to reaching them. We had a conversation a couple months ago that was intended to be a podcast, but I sort of forgot to hit record, which I only realized as our conversation was ended. So that will forever in my mind be known as the podcast that never was. Uh, In that conversation, Kristen and I talked a lot about her early life and how growing up on a farm in Kansas has had a lasting impact on her life, though her parents kind of half jokingly forbade her and her sister from becoming farmers or marrying a farmer. The family farm as an institution has always remained close to her heart and has left an indelible impression on the ethos that governs both of her food related businesses. I write a lot about that in an article that was published in Southern Soil, and I'll have a link for that in the show notes. You can see her passion for reducing waste and supporting local farms and farmers on display through menu and business practices of the cafe she co-founded, The Sentient Bean, and in the subtle shifts and changes she has brought on as the relatively new owner of the long-established health food market next door, Brighter Day. Kristen has also left her mark on the local food community in many other ways, including as a founding member of the Forsyth Farmers Market and a board member of Georgia Organics. Kristen has a great perspective on local food, and I always walk away from our conversations feeling inspired to keep making slow and steady progress toward a much better food system tomorrow than we have today. Always the most forward in my mind, I think, when I think about all of all the things that can be helping our local food system grow, teaching people to cook and driving demand and making it more accessible, it, it all comes back to we need more farmers. Mm-hmm. means we need it to be easier and um we need to we need more money in it yeah uh, more appealing for the younger generation too exactly yeah make farming cool again yeah. <laughs> and now a quick word about our sponsor true earth is dedicated to developing new innovative and sustainable farming practices in order to improve the soil itself and the quality of the products grown there. Whether it's their all-natural fertilizers for the soil or all-natural tinctures and oils from the pharmacy, True Earth is your source for medicine for the earth and medicine from the earth. For more information, visit their website, trueearth.co. That's T-R-U-E-E-A-R-T-H dot C-O. I don't know if you remember uh, one of the first, when I was first starting out, I was trying to do a series called Table Talk and, and sort of talk about kind of what, what our current system looks like, what, what that ideal system would look like and kind of how to sort of bridge the gap. And um, to me, those were always really great conversations, but they never translated well into articles because there's just so much that goes mm-hmm. into it, you know? Yeah. Um, so I kind of would like to start having more conversations like that through the podcast. I don't know if that'd be something that you'd be interested in, you know, kind of talking about just sort of big picture ideas of, of how things <clears throat> can change or are changing and how to encourage those changes. Um, yeah. 
yeah. I mean, you want us to try and tackle some of that today, some big picture stuff? If you want to, or if there's okay. anything, is there anything that's been on your mind lately or? Just COVID. Can, just COVID. <laughs> yeah, how are you doing, by the way? You feel oh, better? I'm good. Um, now, I, I, you know, I'm over it just in time to come cover all the other people who have it, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm just, you know, I gotta, I'm getting put on the schedule because everybody else is getting it, but thankfully not getting it at work. We're, we've, we've been really, I don't, I mean, I'd say lucky. Yes, part of it's luck. We've been lucky, but also because we're careful. Right. And, you know, um, we haven't had a lot of workplace transmission. People are picking it up elsewhere, but all the people who are coming back from the holidays, you know, everybody. Yeah. Everybody was somewhere. I mean, that's how I did it was hanging out with friends over the holidays. So, yeah. I mean, in terms of food systems, you know, how does COVID affect our local food system? It's um, obviously the labor shortage in general has got to be affecting mm -hmm. growers. Although I haven't heard of a lot of those kinds of troubles, probably because most growers around here are so tiny that they right. don't have a lot of labor. They're not yeah. counting on um, a lot of employees showing up. Yeah. Um, but, you know, even small companies like Carrie Shea, who used to be a farmer at Carrie Shea and um, Reed Archer used to farm at Bethesda mm -hmm. and they have a, 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 they've gone to more of a landscaping and hardscaping business, mm -hmm. um, but they do a lot of edible landscapes, which is part of the definitely part of the solution when we're talking right. big picture but right um so they're a small local company and I know that they have enough employees that it's a pain I mean if you have any employees well it yeah it's just it's making hard. production harder for everybody so of course I worry about losing any farmers just because yeah. of the ongoing headaches of COVID so that's on my mind but the other part about having COVID on my mind and how it relates to the food system is still good and that it continues to just the supply chain shocks, the national mm -hmm. supply chain shocks, just to continue to illustrate vividly the importance mm -hmm. of having local, yeah, uh, a local supply chain, you know, yeah. in food more than anything. Yeah. I mean, it's illustrated it great in a ton of things like getting masks, getting domestic national domestic production of everything we need but yeah food in particular should be very close to home so yeah um well i went to the grocery store last night here in town and i don't know if it's because there's bad weather in the forecast or if it's a supply chain thing but shelves were like both empty empty yeah. yeah yeah our truck that delivers so we get three big trucks a week at brighter day and tuesday is one of the bigger ones and it came in less than 50% stocked with oh, what we wow. ordered. So even brighter days looking, you know, a little slim, but then again, I look at the dairy and I'm like, well, start, you know, order more from Southern Swiss. Like, mm -hmm. and, and we last every, I feel like with every spike, we, you know, we gain a few more regular customers who are willing to pay a little bit more and mm -hmm. willing to deal with a shorter shelf life because it's fresher product, you know, mm -hmm. just, it's not, homogenized right so you know it doesn't it's not going to keep as long in your fridge yeah um so yeah. getting people used to those sorts of little things that help us yeah. support a local food system yeah is a silver lining of COVID. it is 
I think so. one of the one of the things I've learned because I'm we've talked about it before I love southern Swiss dairy so I I get mm -hmm. from them um and one of the things I've I've learned how to do is how to bake with soured milk <laughs> because yeah you can bake yeah. so much with it and it's absolutely it's like, yeah anything, basically it's yeah. like buttermilk you know kind of exactly thing and it it does great for baking and so um yeah I had some that had had gone bad that I've got batches of um Amish friendship dough out to restart and cool and use that in there yeah that's great so, yeah yeah so that's what's on my mind but um yeah big picture the dream food system looks like everyone eating some large percentage of fresh food that came from somewhere they could potentially drive to and have a relationship with the producer I mean mm -hmm. I think that would be I suppose you could get even dreamier than that but <laughs> as a pretty that would be a pretty fantastic baseline if that were the case um yeah you know and I, I've never actually it'd be fun to do a audit on myself to see how much of my own diet comes from that if I if that's the qualifier how much of what percentage mm -hmm. of my diet qualifies yeah um, and I think in my position it's high it's very very high um because mm -hmm. I'm it's a priority for me and I'm privileged in a number of ways and have spent a ton of ton of time you know organizing my life around this principle but mm -hmm. um obviously we're a long way from other from it being easy accessible enough um and affordable and all those things all the barriers to eating fresh and people knowing how to cook yeah um that's super important so there's i do feel like for your podcast you, you know chewing up into these little i wonder if you ever tried to like I've never tried to It'd be a great exercise of making an outline of <clears throat> digestible points. I'm sure points. lots of people have done that. Yeah. I um, I think it would be interesting. I, um, you know, maybe, maybe devote a season. I'm doing 12, 12 episodes per season, maybe devote a season to that and sort of break it, break it down. I think people yeah. look at it and they go, Oh, it's impossible, yeah. you know, to feed the country with small farms and I think, yeah, if you look at how it's done now and tried to convert it to small farm, yeah, it's impossible. But mm -hmm. if you, if you, if A, you know, we start eating a little differently, we start cooking a little more, we start, you know, if every person becomes a little more involved in their own food production, it starts yeah. to become more, you can, you can see how it can be more manageable. Absolutely. Um, Even this time of year, you know, I'm, I've got a, a, a backyard in an urban area that's probably no more than 600 square feet of dirt. I mean, it's <laughs> tiny, maybe less than that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there are times of the year when I can absolutely prepare an entire meal out of it. So mm -hmm. if I can do that with my urban backyard garden, then the idea that small farms can't feed us just seems absurd. Right there's plenty of there's plenty of land I mean that's my father who's a more conventional farmer is always you know he's like yeah organic's wonderful like we shouldn't you know you, you know yes I, be I believe it you know we didn't believe it in the 40s or 50s or whatever mm -hmm. and it's taken a long time but yeah I see that I see that chemicals were have been very bad for soil health um yeah and his 
you know, the, the grand nephew that's sort of taking over our family farm is changing methods a lot, which is really heartening for me. Um, yeah. you know, it's doing cover cropping and, and trying an extension of really efforts, conservation efforts that started way back in the sixties or seventies when it became very mm-hmm. apparent that dumping chemicals all over was not gonna, not gonna be sustainable in the long term. Right. Um, but when I talk about my, my hobby work, my food system work, um, mm. as opposed to my more, more paid work, but that's always my dad's reaction is you really think, you know, you really think the billions of people in the world can be fed by, you know, small organic farms. And I'm like, well, you know, we don't really need to start with billions of people. We need to just start with our own communities and our mm-hmm. country and our states and, and it'll work itself out. exactly it'll it'll work itself out and the fact that I can almost eat out of my little urban yard makes me know that it would work itself out yeah if if farmers were supported in the community and supported in a way that made um made it profitable to farm Mm -hmm. and made it easy made sure that they had friends and support and labor when they need it you know to get through a pandemic Um, right there's no reason there's no reason that we can't all be contributing to a system like that it's just a long ways from where we are now but we just need to bite off little sections we can chew and keep moving forward yeah 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 I think and and that's one reason I always enjoy talking with you because I think um but you have you have a very practical approach and I think that that's you know it's great to have these grand ideas but in the meantime, you know, it's, it's, it has to be done incrementally, yeah. you know, what can you do? Yeah. What, what, what can I do today? And if that's what you're asking, there's a million things you can right. do today, you know? Right. Yeah. You can compost at home. You can, at, as, at a, when you go out to eat, like applaud whatever, even if the restaurant only has one local ingredient on the menu, mm-hmm. make sure you tell your servers that that's exciting for you and that yeah. you'd like to see more of it. And I mean, it just runs the gamut. Learn how to grow herbs. The best thing you can, the tiniest, the, the biggest bang for your buck in terms of taste mm-hmm. and price space and all that, all the stuff that we've talked about. Um, yeah. You know, and those are, those are smaller for somebody who's not, doesn't have, it's not going to go to a farmer's market and is not going to drive to farms and it's, right. doesn't have the capital to just buy whatever because it's what they want to support. Um, right. There's, there's, there's things to do and a lot of people are doing them. Yeah. Um, another, I mean, just COVID, 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 I think it's a good uh, motivator, I think, for people to improve their diet. Like now, now yeah. more than ever, people need to be healthier. Yeah. And, and everybody knows that eating whole foods is mm-hmm. certainly key to um, keeping your body working well. Right. Um, keeping your immune system up like I don't there's not very many folks who would deny or <laughs> deny that science you know right um, there's, there's plenty of research out there that uh, right eating whole foods is, is the way to go and then there's also plenty of research it's a little less accepted but I know you and I believe it and lots of people do that um, part of your mental and emotional health is having a connection to what mm-hmm. you to the soil and what you ingest and, and having, yeah. having an emotional, having a relationship with your food that goes mm-hmm. beyond plastic packaging and corporate entities yeah. um, is an aspect of staying healthy. 
yeah which is definitely important so just need to keep growing on these little on these silver linings of covid and mm-hmm. and now for a quick word from our sponsor way green is a nonprofit organization based out of waycross georgia dedicated to improving accessibility to healthy food and food education throughout their community The work they do is all about strengthening the local food system by inspiring and empowering the growth, distribution, and consumption of healthy local food. For more information, visit www.waygreeninc.org. Program that started in Atlanta a couple years ago that's a nonprofit that's helping small farms buy land and offering technical assistance. Um, which I've been saying for a long time, like we need, you know, we need a, I can't wait till some of the models like in New England, where making it easier for people to become farmers Mm -hmm. um, starts here. And there's a, there's a pilot or there's an organization in Atlanta that just started doing it. That was something I wanted to ask you about in in the podcast that never was (laughs) the (laughs) interview that I had with you that did not get recorded. Um, You had mentioned something about land availability for farmers and, and land access. And maybe you can talk a little bit about um, some of what is going on in other parts of the country that you'd like to see happen here. Yeah. Um, well, there's there's lots of different models, but other states have better rules or maybe just populations that are more interested in conservation easements where you can at least, um, you know, you inherit land, you can put it into a farming easement um, surely Georgia, you know, I don't even know if Georgia has that, but there are farming easements that exist that will, you know, guarantee at the very least that property taxes stay low enough mm-hmm. to allow farming to be a reasonable use. I mean, obviously property taxes in, in areas that are getting enveloped by urban right. development, um, that's always going to be more valuable. Well, it, it shouldn't be more valuable, but it is more valuable but it will than be. farming. Right. So, if you're on a spot whose property taxes are skyrocketing, then it doesn't make any sense for you to keep farming it. So yeah, there's some different mechanisms for um, making sure you can, you know, if you own, if you're a landowner, making sure that your property taxes remain reasonable or even putting a covenant on the land so you can sell it, but you're, it's always, it's designated, it has to remain farming, which is, Mm -hmm. uh, or has to remain an agricultural use, which of course, is going to keep the might keep the value down um mm-hmm. but plenty of people can afford that and might be interested in making sure if they're if they have a parcel of land somewhere that's farmable that they yeah can make sure it's a farm um yeah. and then it moves into there are organizations that fund farmers at a very you know we don't really have a true csa model around here even i just had someone email or facebook message or something brighter day asking about this and i said to my knowledge, we don't have a true CSA model, which is where you buy into the farm. Literally, mm-hmm. you buy shares of a farm, um, right. or you buy, sh- you know, your what you're getting is the produce. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it's <clears throat> at its most basic level, it's a type of sharecropping, which does not sound good. Does not have good <laughs> connotations. Um, a positive but kind if, of sharecropping. <laughs> but it, yeah, if everybody's in, if everybody involved knows from the get go that this needs to include you know your share of the farm needs to right. be a, a real livelihood for the farmer then it's a good it's a great model um mm-hmm. it's been successful in lots of places um but we don't really have one here um 
and I think we've talked about this before that farming in coastal Georgia presents its whole own basket of challenges, which mm-hmm. makes it harder here. I mean, it's just not the best agricultural land until right. you get quite a quite a quite a ways inland, but um, um, you know, still easily within what I would call the hinterlands of Savannah. There's plenty of good arable land, so it would be nice if we had some somebody jump up and say I'm gonna do a real CSA model and try to mm-hmm. get enough community support um, that they don't have to get any bad loans um, right you know that they yeah. that they have enough capital be it monetary be it human be it whatever it's it's really a um, you know it's an insurance policy yeah so if you have a bad year because of weather or bugs or whatever mm-hmm. but you don't lose your ass um, right yeah. And you don't lose the farm because yeah. your your credit is with a community that has said, "I will support you." Yeah, you know, through, yeah, through good and bad. I will, eat, right. I will eat what you grow. Yeah. Um, so that's so, a model. And so then, basically, the CSAs is consumers supported agriculture, agriculture. right? Mm-hmm. And so basically, at the beginning of a season, you buy in and say, "Okay, I'm going to give this much, like yeah. per month or whatever." Yeah, and then regardless of what happens you get a share of the crops that are that come are harvested during that season correct and of course that means you've got to really learn to eat local and seasonal Mm -hmm. which is a far cry from our standard diet yeah and and imperfect also because you know yeah stuff isn't going to come you got to learn how to right put things (laughs) up i mean when is it when it's basil season man put up (laughs) put up pesto and it's tomato right. season, pepper season, put up sauce. You're going to, you're going to want it in the winter when there's right. no tomatoes and peppers growing. So it is a big commitment. Yeah. Um, but again, there's no reason that people can't do that. Like, yeah. Think of all the time we spend watching TV. <laughs> people could spend that time in their kitchens. True. Um, True. You know, so it's all, it's all doable. It just has to be, it has to be incremental change, but it's really exciting that there might be some sort of organization afoot um, in Savannah that's going to provide some capital and some stability mm-hmm. for small and new farms. Um, and then, yeah, there's more formal. I know in New England, there's more formal land banks where people literally invest money. Um, oops. And it doesn't have to be, so it's not necessarily land that they have controlled, but it might be somebody who's offered up some land and said hey I'm gonna I want this to be agricultural I need somebody to buy it you know Mm -hmm. I need I need the money I'm my my whatever maybe I inherited or maybe I'm too old Mm -hmm. to farm or whatever um and then an actual organized land bank will buy it um Mm -hmm. and take the financial risk and then lease it at very favorable terms to farms so that's a that's a that's a model that would work great in Georgia I mean there's tons and tons of land being inherited by yeah. wealthy people um yeah that could surely you know that plenty of whom you know if approached might consider doing yeah something like that even if just you know part of it yeah yeah it can be a small part yeah and it's not like you're totally you know you you, you may still make some kind of money on it or be able to sell it but um but you take on you you take a loss or you take on the risk to help help mm-hmm. it become farmable yeah so hopefully something like that spreads down here it would be good especially when you look at so much 
you know, farmland that's starting to be developed. There's so much growth in the Pooler area and Richmond Hill and these kind of outlying areas and all these places that used to be farmland or, you know, woodland or different things Mm -hmm. like that are turning into housing developments. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, so it would be nice to see some of that land close to urban areas secured for agriculture so that you can have those sort of small farms supporting a nearby urban center. Yeah, I mean, that's really, that's like high level dreaminess of local Mm. policy, but there is, um, I'm sure there are uh, examples in the country of Mm. municipalities and counties who have just said, you know what, X, X percentage of our land can be developed for something other than agriculture and then people Mm -hmm. just have to deal with that so yeah if that means living in a denser city because you have made that choice then you can do that Mm -hmm. um you know intentional communities there's lots it's done at the private level all the time Um, right maybe i'm maybe i'm wrong there is no municipality but i bet you there is um but it's done with intentional communities all the time where people say we're going to share spaces and and Mm -hmm. live a little more densely so that we can dedicate x acreage of our development to to farming i mean yeah several like that in atlanta yeah Um, i don't know about several but there's a few um, yeah housing developments who that's that's part of the deal is that they have a a huge garden or a small farm um, yeah on the property and that's that's kind of the exciting thing about food and local food to me is Mm -hmm. all the different things that it touches because you know um i'm one of these people who dabbles in lots of different (laughs) different Mm -hmm. things you know and you know, like politics and policy, actually my degrees in, in um, public administration. So those kind of things interest me. And, and it's so, policy plays such a huge role in what our local food looks like or doesn't look like. Yep. And you know, that's something that I think a lot of people don't realize, you know, is how much, you know, these policymakers, the decisions that they make in Atlanta or DC or wherever they their centers of power are, um, you know that affects what we go to the grocery store and get, and it affects the prices yep. we pay. And yep. so, you know, it's important to kind of, and I'm saying this to myself because I tend to to neglect paying attention to what's going on locally a lot of times. But you know, the more we can pay attention to those local policies and the more input we can have, especially when you look at communities that are developing so quickly, like like Richmond Hill and Pooler, um, mm-hmm. you know, get in there now and say, hey, we need to preserve some space for these types yeah. of things. Right. Uh, it's a much easier sell to for urban communities to it's much more likely that they'll preserve green space for recreation. Mm-hmm. Uh, where they you know we've got we're figuring that out but yeah um, but we're not getting as far as agriculture and we, we yeah. really need to be yeah um yeah and even yeah. you know you say people don't understand how the policy affects their daily lives that's true it's complicated um but i think also people not very many people realize that even local policy you know county zoning laws mm-hmm. um are important and those are you really have control over that. Like it does not take a large group of people or some sort of Herculean effort to change Mm -hmm. local zoning laws. And I think of the example in Chatham County right now of um, core compost. 
just mm. trying to right. make sure there's laws on the books to legitimate what they want to do. Right. Which is, and really, which is a really important part of our food system. Yes. Yeah. Having everybody compost so that yeah. we are not losing nutrients in the system, in the closed mm-hmm. loop system to the landfill. Right. You know? um, right. And yeah, cutting, cutting down on landfill methane and all that. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think it seems like a lot of times in, in conversations, it's almost like national policy is what people focus on. Yeah. And it feels so far out of reach that people are like, well, what can I do? And they throw up their hands right. and it's like, but your local system, I mean, I used to work for the local paper here and, you know, I've covered city council meetings and nobody's there, you know, right. it's like, if you show up and you have an opinion, it's going to get heard because there's really yep. not a lot of people participating in these small towns. Absolutely. And, you know, if you can, if you can get your city, and again, I'm talking to myself here, but if you can get your city to, um, you know, make that a priority and, you know, they can do things like tax incentives and, you know, utility yep. type incentives and things for, um, incentivizing agriculture or whatever type of business they want to encourage and so you know that's something to keep in mind too if you're if you're wanting to farm you know get involved with your local community um yeah that's a good that's a good good point I should make myself more familiar with um I mean the organize the nonprofit healthy savannah which is a, a big collaboration includes the farmer's market they have definitely been good about lobbying the city to mm-hmm. at least start thinking about local food. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, to my knowledge, there has not been any headway in that, like some, any kind of public incentives for agriculture, but um, they did get city council to commit to, you know, having a goal of 10% of their purchasing, of mm-hmm. their food purchasing budget being local food. And that's a, t- that's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so just little things like that are really important. Yeah. Um, and if yeah. it were successful, there's no reason why we couldn't go back to council in a few years and be like, hey guys, it's time to make it 25. Right. Um, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That yeah. change change does happen that way. Good change yeah. happens that way. Um, another, you know, COVID slash modern reality is there is a lot of money for food system reform in, mm-hmm. the, build, in the Build Back Better bill. Um, yeah. yeah. So I'm really hoping that some of that comes our way and that we can yeah. do something great with it here in, in coastal Georgia to, yeah. to Im- increase the number, increase the amount of food being consumed, increase the easy, the ease, the accessibility mm-hmm. of people on a, on a real basis. And then, you know, who knows about the whole the the education arm of just right. driving driving consumer demand um, yeah and consumer ability consumer know-how to yeah. start participating participating on a path that leads us to more and more and more and more of our food being local yeah and sustainable and healthy I mean that kind of goes without saying that right if you're gonna have a, <laughs> if you're gonna have a good local food system it's gonna have to be healthy and sustainable yeah, there's no point in having a local um, <laughs> dirty food system. A local dirty food system. <laughs> yeah. 
let's localize our our pollution producing (laughs) CAFOs and stuff like that yeah no most people want those out of their community (laughs) yeah yeah not in my backyard exactly no healthy food (laughs) yeah nobody says that uh no that kind of brings up an interesting point that I have thought a lot about that you talked about again in the podcast that never was it's gonna how it's I'm gonna forever think of it um but you were talking about because you grew up on a farm and and you brought up a point that I've never considered because I didn't grow up on a farm but you know you were talking about that y'all had to deal with all the waste so anything that came onto the farm that was kind of its final destination you know you you had to sort of deal with what happened with the aftermath of what you didn't you know use and it sort of got me thinking like what if all of us had that you know issue where anything we brought into our homes was there forever you know how differently would we think about what we bring into our homes Um, yeah zero zero waste would become an imperative yeah so and yeah everybody would be much better at making sure that if you can't safely burn it eat it bury it or reuse it on your own property that you never buy it in the first place Um, yeah and which yeah that it does come really my whole life that that comes really easy for me that seems like I mean of course I break the rules all the time my house is filled (laughs) with things that you know uh some of them you know batteries definitely being one of the things yeah that is tough you know even as a kid we're like "Mm, batteries what do we do with that you know Um, yeah and sometimes there would be a tangled mess of you know at the bottom of our burn barrel would be all the noxious poisonous non-burnable who knows what um that would accumulate over time and um we'd take it out to a ditch in a pasture we'd have a junk ditch uh-huh. And it was kind of known that like, that's where all the Bad nasty things. junk went, but it wasn't, you know, wasn't a source of pride or anything. It was just out of necessity. Yeah. And, yeah. and we, you know, and it was, it was the gross place. Like it's the place you don't go. Um, yeah. Except for years later, when you find it fascinating to see what you might've. <laughs> the archeologist comes out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Any metal that wasn't recyclable you know, just weird stuff would end up in the, yeah. in the ditch, but, but yeah, it's, it's easy for me. And it's always close to my brain and my heart to be thinking about. Yeah. Zero waste. Yeah. Every, every time I buy something that's overpackaged, I just been like, Oh, I should return it. You know, can't stand it. Uh, I was in the grocery store the other day and I saw, and I, it just, it was an orange, right? Like an mm-hmm. orange that was peeled and in plastic (laughs) and styrofoam and I'm like really are we at that point where we can't peel an orange I know is it easier to peel the plastic off like I don't I I don't I'm not I don't get it at all like I yeah who is buying that and yeah, and how, and why is that more economical than an orange? Or yeah. is it, I guess maybe it's not, but there's I, no reason that a plastic, a styrofoam tray and plastic shouldn't be much, much more expensive. Yeah. Not uh, to mention just, the labor it took to do that. I mean, not to mention that, labor. yeah, not to mention that. Why do you want somebody touching your orange? <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> like, were their hands clean? <laughs> right. Isn't it, it better is, that if is you a just bizarre. 
peel it yourself? I mean, I that is a bizarre thing. You know, I was a really early uh, when I first moved to Savannah and shopped around. Didn't you know? Before the century yeah. being before brighter day, I was just a kid living in the Victorian district. <laughs> I didn't have a car, so um, I loved Kroger. And Kroger can be a wild place, and a lot of people were. A lot of my friends were like, "What? You shop at downtown Kroger? Why don't you go to someplace nicer? You know, <laughs> the Publix on the island or something." And, um, as always saying, because Kroger's produce isn't wrapped. Like Kroger mm. has a huge produce department and they don't, compared to other grocery store, I think this has changed a lot, but compared to 20 years ago, their yeah. produce department, you know, you could shop for your entire, everything you needed and it wasn't necessary, it didn't need to be wrapped. Mm-hmm. Um, and other grocery stores, I will not name names, but mm-hmm. one in particular that people think is super nice. I was like, I won't shop there because mm-hmm. every single piece of produce they have is on a styrofoam tray and wrapped in plastic. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, and it just doesn't make any sense. So no. hopefully hopefully more people are figuring that out. But yeah, peeled orange is over the top. <laughs> I have not seen that. It was it was pretty, um, pretty weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, but no, I, I really have been, been thinking a lot about that. And and reducing waste is something that I really need to get better at. That's, that's an area where I really fail miserably. Um, and, oh, I was going to ask you too. Are you still, do you still do your vermiculture? You oh yeah. have your worms? Just, oh yeah. Um, I was just showing them off today. Uh, Brad had a meeting and the house guest was interested in my worms. So I showed them yeah. and Brad said, you know, we've had those worms for he said over 10 years, but I, I think we've actually, I've had that same worm colony for 14 years now. So oh, wow. they're like pets. I'm attached to my worms. Yeah. <laughs> and it's I'm amazing. Sure. It's amazing what they can deal with. I mean, we are, we're pretty serious cooks in this house and especially during the pandemic, reading at home all the time. And we, we eat whole foods, we eat from yeah. scratch. So <clears throat> it's not unusual for us to fill a two gallon pail, uh, you know, three or four times a week. And they eat it all. Really? It's just, it's gone. Yep. How You said you Um, keep them in a tub, right? Like you have a... Yep. I keep them in an old bathtub um, with a cover on it so they don't get rained on, but that lets air in. And Uh um, if anything, my problem now is that I need to pull dirt out faster. Wow. I am. So, um, you know, the the process, I don't have a very good process for uh, getting the worms out of the dirt. That's the trick. Yeah, pull the dirt out. So I have a little sifter box, but um, yeah, I, I try to do it the lazy way and uh, just like fill it and then let the worms crawl out of it. But they never they don't crawl out of it as fast as I'd like them to. <laughs> There's methods for this, but yeah. Well, I'm, I have one of the neat little condos <clears throat> for them, and um, that was given to me, and I I had worms in there. It was. It was kind of like, um, I think I had too few for what I needed. And so I kept ending mm-hmm. up having to store stuff in the refrigerator and then, yeah, you know, like put it in there incrementally and they weren't quite keeping up. And, and then something happened and I was, I got, I can't remember what it was. I, I want to say it was maybe when my dad was in the hospital a good bit and I was my whole routine got messed up and they, I ended up starving my four worms to death and I felt like a horrible human being um 
it's really but, hard to starve worms to death. Are you sure you didn't let them get too hot or too dry? That's what kills them usually. No, Deep I think because like I was away for a little bit and then I just completely forgot about them. And, yeah, okay. you know, then when I like kind of came back, I was like, oh my gosh. Um, yeah, it was. I Did they have it. a way to escape? Okay. <laughs> it was good. Yeah, it was totally closed. Yeah. Oh, yeah, then, yeah. Yeah. You killed them. It was worm killer. <laughs> I know. Right. I feel so bad, but I would like to get started back again in this time being yeah. a responsible oh. worm person um because no it is really it is really cool to have them and you know just and I had them in the house um which yeah. seems you know gross at first but it's totally not and um as long as you're responsible yeah, if it's managed well there's no there's no yeah. problem no I mean um, there was no smell there was no right. you know and with well, those I, like you can just kind of like there's the trays and so as they kind of go through one you just start adding the food to the other one so they go down to the other one and then you pull uh -huh. the top tray off that they've you know uh -huh. where you have your compost and then cool just kind of I'm not familiar with this cycle but I like the sound of it yeah I can yeah. see how it works that's, that's pretty cool. cool the only issue with it is that you know it's a smaller amount and so right yeah yeah I mean you know my bathtub is whatever that is like a 50 gallon type yeah. container that does and I yeah, it moves from one I move from one side to the other so I sort of have like yeah a, you know it's like the trays I mean I have a much larger tray system going left right. to right but well next time you're in Savannah let me know and I'll get you some worms I have okay that, I, have, I have plenty to share you'll, or, you'll trust me <laughs> I mean yeah. you might have to check in every now and then and be like okay you're not getting yeah. my worms right <laughs> Yeah. I mean, truth be told, more than I trust you, I probably just am willing to sacrifice the worms to the, <laughs> to the effort, even though I do love my worms. Hopefully, hopefully you'll take care of them. But yeah, yeah, I've, I, I've I would. a lot of people's worm farms over the years and I, I don't follow up, but I hope, I hope they're out there doing, doing their composting job. Yeah, somewhere. that's pretty cool. Yeah. Spark those things. But yeah, it's a great way to get, to get good nutrient dense compost it's very high in nitrogen what they produce and it's very clean they they like sanitize basically yes it is really clean they do yeah so the sd gunner fund located out of richmond hill georgia serves veterans first responders and children living with disabilities while inspiring disability awareness through public education and advocacy sd gunner fund is a therapy and service dog provider their service dogs are trained to support individuals with mobility, psychiatric, and brain and neurological disabilities. I have been involved with SD Gunner Fund for over seven years and have had the privilege of seeing the differences these dogs can make in the lives of the humans they serve. For more information on services provided or to find out how you can help with this worthwhile organization, check out their website at www.sdgunner.org. Thanks for joining us at the table today and being a part of the conversation. If you haven't already, head on over to our website, southernsoil.org, and be sure to sign up for our newsletter and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. As always, support your local farmers and let's grow our local food communities together. Have a great day. Make farming sexy. There we go. Yeah. We'll have a new. Yeah.
a new logo. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Maybe that's what I should, I need to, I need to get some new t-shirts made for Brighter Day. We're almost sold out of the old ones and I've never made t-shirts with our new logo. Oh um, yeah. Which wouldn't be, it'd be a better farmer's market t-shirt. T-shirt, yeah. that'd be a great t-shirt make. I'm sure it exists somewhere, but it'd be fun to have a Savannah version. Yeah. Make, you know, farming, make farming sexy or yeah. farming. Maybe it should just be farming is sexy. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I can't make anybody think anything is sexy. <laughs> My opinion. Farming is sexy. There you go. Yeah, I like that. Oh dear.